and welcome back to the Infinite Inquiry podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Jens. Today should be a very interesting podcast. I know that we've had some audio issues in the last few episodes. Today should be even more interesting as I am dog-sitting. I have a Bichon Freeze dog-sitting here next to me named Tiana, and she likes to pant and bark from time to time. So if you hear that during this episode, just know that's what's going on. She's had some interesting interactions with my cat here. Zeus, and he's quite talkative at times as well. So today could be a very interesting podcast in that regard. So let's get started here. What I would like to talk about today is worship and adoration, specifically our response to God, to Christ and his love, and what that should look like. I know that many times in our lives, we hold back, whether it's in church, whether it's in our daily lives, our love for God sometimes is restrained. And I often wonder, what would it look like if we didn't hold back? What would that look like in church? If knowing and feeling and seeing the love of God, the things he has done for us in Christ, when we, you have those worship moments and those worship songs going on where you feel like your, your heart is about to, to bust out of your chest, what is the appropriate response? I think about this in church often. And really the question is, what will it look like in heaven? What would that look like when you see him face to face? What will your worship be? I think of that song sometimes, I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me, where he talks about, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I think those words encapsulate fear and reverence for God, but also the adoration and worship. I love that song. I think it's one of the best songs in the modern era that's ever been written. It reminds me of in the book of Revelation where John is caught up and he's, I believe it's Revelation chapter one, where he actually sees Jesus in his glorified form. He sees Jesus as we will see him someday. And yeah, it is Revelation chapter one. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man. And that, of course, is Jesus, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And here's what, here's John's response. Here's what he writes that happened. He says, When I saw him, I felt at his feet as though dead. And he says, But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I'm the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. He falls down as though dead, like complete reverence, complete worship, as much as possible. I I think those were the best words to describe, and that's how John responded when he saw Christ in heaven. But thinking about our daily lives here and now, what does it look like? I know that the scripture says, he who loves much has been forgiven much. He who loves little has been forgiven little. And that passage comes from when Jesus saw the woman who was taken in adultery come into the house and Simon, some of the other disciples were all murmuring saying, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this lady was, that he wouldn't let her in the house, wouldn't let her come to him or or even touch him because she came in knowing her sins were great. She fell down at Jesus' feet in worship and washed his feet with her tears, cleaned them with her hair. 
And some of the others around were saying he shouldn't let this woman touch him. She's unclean. She's filthy. And that's when Jesus says, he who loves much has been forgiven much. He who loves little has been forgiven little. And so I find it interesting that Jesus said, though her sins were many, that she had been forgiven. And he told her, go sin no more. Go live the life that you're supposed to live. And that should be our response to Christ. Go and sin no more and continue to worship him. When we realize who we are and we realize who he is, we realize that we are completely unrighteous and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves and that he is completely righteous and the only way that we can be saved. So another story that I absolutely love in regard to worship and adoration in the scriptures, I think this is my favorite one. We're past Christmas time now, but I still think about Bethlehem. I think about the wise men. I think about the shepherds. I think about all of the ways in which they responded to the news that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King of the universe was being born in Bethlehem, just as the prophets had foretold. I believe it was in Micah chapter 5. If I remember correctly, I think it's 5 verse 2, but it talks about Bethlehem being the place where the Messiah would be born. And so they knew this prophecy. And so these wise men, they're called wise men. They come from the east, which there's theories about who these guys were. We really don't know. They could have been Jews who were carried away in Babylonian captivity centuries before who were coming back to Israel because they saw the star and God had spoken to them saying, follow this star, which could have been an actual star, could have been an angel, could have been... Who knows, but there was a sign in the sky, a bright sign in the sky leading them to Christ, to Jesus as a baby. And so these men who obviously followed God and took this long journey because they wanted to see the Messiah, they wanted to see the Savior of the world. So what's interesting is the scripture says, and behold the star, and I think I'm reading here from the gospel of Matthew, it says, and behold the star that they had seen when it arose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So they are looking diligently for the Messiah and they see this this star, this thing in the sky. It's leading them, it goes before them and it stops right over the place, over the house where Jesus was at that time. And it says, here's the key point. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So these men were shouting simply when they just saw the star. Much like you would if your favorite team had won the Super Bowl, last five seconds left on the clock, touchdown pass, they win. You're in the stadium, you're on the 50-yard line, you're 10 rows up, you see this happen. What is your response? You're going to go absolutely berserk because your favorite teams won the Super Bowl. You're super excited, super pumped. What the text implies here is that's the level. It may be even more so of the excitement of these men rejoicing in God over knowing that they were going to meet Christ. How powerful is that? And these men were shouting with great joy. So what is their response? When they finally get to the place, they see Jesus. They fall down, they worship him, they give him their treasures. These men, their response to Christ was, they knew who Jesus was and they responded by giving him their time, their talents, and their treasure. So in our lives, when we see Jesus and we see him intervening in our lives like he did in these men's lives, he's, the star was leading them to Christ and the fact that they were being led to Christ, that they were being drawn to him, 
they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were shouting. So when the Holy Spirit is leading us to Christ in our lives and drawing us to him, we should be rejoicing with exceedingly with great joy, just like these men, because God is drawing us to him. And then our response should be like them, giving him our time, our talents, and our treasures. And again, when I'm speaking about this, I'm speaking to myself as well. I need to be better at giving the Lord my time, my talents, my treasures, giving him everything because he is worthy of that. And to rejoice whenever I feel him pulling my heart. When the Holy Spirit is pulling us from from things in our lives, from sin, from doing things we shouldn't, or bringing conviction, or even just drawing us to Christ, filling the love of Christ. I mean, that is something to rejoice over because that means God is not done with us. God is, he is moving in our lives. He's got great things that he wants us to do and to experience in him. I think that's worth rejoicing over. I think that's worth worshiping over. So what holds us back? What really holds us back in our lives? And for some people, it's their sin. And so if we look in our lives, we can find lust, temptations of all kinds, jealousy, envy, drunkenness, addictions. Any of those things can all creep in our lives and cause us to do things that we shouldn't, which can wreck our lives in an earthly manner and with earthly repercussions, but even more importantly, can also damage our relationship with God. And this is a saying that I felt God press into my heart a while back regarding this. And it really pierced my heart. And I want to share it because I haven't been good at following it, but I know that God has spoken this to me. And the word that I felt in my heart was, no sin is worth losing intimacy with the Father. Again, no sin is worth losing intimacy with the Father. It's easy to justify our sins, thinking, oh, I'm not hurting anybody or whatever, however we can do it. But truthfully, feeling God's love and being in close relationship with the Father, nothing is worth losing that. And I think that's what we need to hold on to. I think that that should pull us away from sin and that should help us to follow him more closely. And I think the closer we get to him in listening to, maybe listening to this podcast or other podcasts, you know, I, I listen to some other Christian podcasts that I would highly recommend. I think there are a lot of good ones out there. Listening to worship music, even when you're driving in your car, before you go to work, getting our hearts and minds in the right place and giving God that adoration helps to keep us from doing sinful things as well and keeps us in close communion with the Father. I know the scripture says to pray without ceasing, to continue to seek God. And I think that as much as we can to keep our hearts and minds on him, again, the scripture says that will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. And so keeping our hearts and minds on Christ, staying in that state of worship and adoration and reverence for God. So for me personally, in saying that no sin is worth losing intimacy with the Father, I know that for many years, And I know there may be some people listening who can relate that I've had one foot in the church, so to speak, and one foot in the world, one hand towards God, one hand towards the world. And a part of me always holding back a little bit. And maybe that's because of a lack of trust for God, because sometimes we think that we know better than God what's good for our lives. And sometimes we think, well, God, if I sacrifice this part of my life, if I let go of these things, God is not really going to give me the desires of my heart, or God's not going to really bless me, or God's not, I I don't really trust God to take care of me like I think I can take care of myself. And I think that's, that's really the issue in our lives. It's, it's an issue of, of actual faith. Do you really believe that God 
that God is able and that he is willing to meet all of your needs in Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean, like we said in the, in the last episode, that doesn't mean that you're going to be completely comforted materially or earthly. But do you believe that Christ can satisfy your heart and that he is worth following and that he will take care of you? Sometimes in my life, I haven't in the past. I've again had one hand towards the world and one hand towards Christ. And that is a miserable place to be. Not being fully committed to Christ, not fully surrendering your heart, but only part of your heart is not a good place to be. The scripture says, Jesus said, he who puts his hand to the plow and keeps looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And I think what God wants is not for us to have one hand on the plow and looking back. I think he wants both of our hands on the plow, moving forward, pushing hard towards the kingdom of God and towards Christ and doing things for him. And in that, and in doing so, your heart is satisfied. Your mind is at peace. You experience the love of Christ without sin getting in the way. I think that, again, I go back to the book of Revelation where Jesus says, I would rather you be hot or cold. I would rather you be completely on fire for me or be completely cold. And it says, because you are neither hot nor cold, I will, I guess the old version says, I will spew you out of my mouth, or I'm not sure what the modern translation is there, but it literally makes God sick to his stomach. It makes, makes him vomit. And I think that we don't realize that he wants us on fire for him. He wants our hearts burning for him. And that heart on fire, that burning heart is nowhere more evidence than when you read the account of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. One of my favorite stories in the scriptures. So Jesus has died on the cross. The disciples are all disillusioned. He has risen from the dead, but they don't understand it yet. A few of the disciples are walking along the road to Emmaus and a stranger comes up and begins to ask them questions. They don't realize it's Jesus. And Jesus begins to talk to them from the scriptures, beginning in Genesis, all the way to Malachi, their entire Old Testament, and explains to them from the scriptures how the Messiah would suffer and die and be raised again to life. In my opinion, probably this is the greatest sermon ever preached. I would have loved to have heard it. Hopefully someday we'd get to hear what was said when we're in heaven. But Jesus preached to these guys all of the prophecies beginning from the books of Moses, from the law and the Psalms and the minor prophets and the major prophets, everything that was written of him. The way I look at it, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is all about Christ. Everything points to Jesus coming to the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so the disciples, when they heard this, afterwards they realized it was Jesus and then he vanished from them and their response was, did not our hearts burn within us when he was speaking? How powerful is that? Their hearts began to burn within them on fire for Christ, for the Lord. And when we hear Jesus speaking to us in our lives about himself, do our hearts burn within us? That should be our response. I want that heart that burns for Christ, the heart that is on fire. So, what should be our response in worship and adoration? If you're in church and you feel that God wants you to lift your hands, if you feel the overwhelming urge to raise your hands and worship him, it doesn't matter who is in front of you. 
It doesn't matter who's behind you. It only matters who's inside of you. That Jesus, the Holy Spirit, dwells within you. And that if he's calling you to do that, then by all means do it. If you are worshiping God corporately with a group of people and you feel like God wants you to fall on your knees and pray or worship him, then do it. Do whatever response that you feel that, that God is leading you to do. Open your heart to him. Give him your best. Give him everything. Fully surrender to him. Not only in worship and your adoration, but in your daily life. Begin to rebuke sin in your life. Begin to follow him. Cast off the chains of darkness that hold you back. And you will experience freedom and joy and peace beyond all understanding in Christ. We were created to know him and to make him known. We were created to love him and to be loved by him. And that is the word of the Lord. And I believe that is what he wants to speak to us today. And I pray that, that my, for myself and for you all that we're able to walk in that, to walk in that love and experience him fully in this life and of course in the life to come. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.